Welcome to From the Ground Up Athletic Performance Podcast. On this week's episode, I sat down with Wade Houchin of Kula Sports Performance to discuss a variety of topics. Wade recently made the move down to Texas and the Lone Star State, but not before founding ATG Nebraska, which focuses on the ATG system founded by Ben Patrick, or better known as Knees Over Toes Guy. We start our conversation by talking about the importance of having an inquiring mind and discuss Wade's description of overthrowing the status quo. Wade details and shares the main components of the ATG training system, as well as how to individualize and advance different exercise variations. Wade shares the power of including full range of motion movements and how we can utilize different variations of exercise to increase proficiency in deeper ranges of motion. Over the last few years, I've conversed with Wade on a number of occasions, and we have a shared interest in bringing the brain into training. Wade shares the power of the square one system and other neurological elements he blends into training. This is a great conversation on a system that I've wanted to discuss for a while now. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to From the Ground Up Athletic Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Curtis, and my guest today is Wade Houchin. And I'm excited, Wade, to have you on. We talked several times leading up to this, and we've just kind of shot things back and forth in DMs on Instagram and stuff. So I've talked to you a lot of different times and really enjoy following all your content. And we have a lot of shared, actually, acquaintances. You're sitting at Kula's right now, which we'll probably reference here in a little bit. And uh, I know Sean Sherman and Ryan Thompson, you're close with all those guys as well. And you just made the big move over to Texas. We'll talk more about that later, but you're kind of in with some different people. I had the uh, opportunity to meet whenever I went to the Square One System uh, workshop as well. So we'll talk about all that down the road, but uh, just glad to have you on. I actually had somebody reach out and say, I think you ought to have Wade on. I was like, you know what? Thanks for reminding me because there's several times I wanted to ask you and then we would just get sidetracked or whatever. So excited to sit down and talk about a a variety of topics with you today. Before we get moving down that trail, I just want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's good. I feel like it's been a long time coming since we we actually talked beyond uh, some sort of typing or texting message. So thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, Wade Houchin, like you said, all that stuff I got going on, a lot of change in my world right now. As a a teacher and a head football coach most recently before I went full-time training. And so been in the athletic sector for, for quite a while now, 40 years old, got four kids all the way from 22, uh, my oldest down to 11. So uh, we live in Salina, Texas, freshly reloaded, relocated from Lincoln, Nebraska. So I've been a in Nebraska my whole life, except for the last two months. So opportunities arise and you, you just step out in faith and take them and keep connecting with great people. And that's really my story is I keep trying to learn and keep trying to grow. And it just runs me into better and better people. And sometimes that results in opportunities and too good to pass up type of stuff. Yeah. So I'm a small town Nebraska kid that spent the last 20 years in, in Lincoln working and mostly as a teacher and, and uh, started a gym there called ATG Nebraska. We'll get into that stuff too. My trainer, Zach at Alton is his name. He's still running the Lincoln location. So that's still up and going and hopefully growing. And, and that's a good um, situation for him. So like I said, we moved to Texas at the end of July and I'm training uh, clients out of my garage and making all kinds of good network networks and connections. And then I'll be running Kula Sports Performance Plano, Texas, set to open March 1st. 
So lots going on in the world for sure, but it's, it's good. We're blessed. So I'm sure you're enjoying Texas, man. I live right across the border. So, I mean, Texas to me is the greatest state in the whole union. I mean, it's up for argument for some people, but uh, I have a lot of viewership over in Texas and I really enjoy it. I, I probably spend just as much time in Texas as I do over here in Louisiana. So great state, yeah. great people, great food, great music, a lot of great things over there. I'm sure you've been enjoying that Texas heat, but it'll break soon. You know, the thing is, the humidity is worse in Lincoln, so it almost feels the same, to be honest with you. The, the biggest difference is it's more relentless. Like, you don't get as many days off from the heat down there. But sign me up all day and twice on Sundays. I'm ready for my first non-Nebraska winter, so I'm fine. I'm good with the heat. Don't speak too soon. Hopefully we don't have another snowstorm like we had like a year or so back, right? That was that's crazy. But that's Yeah, that's like once every two weeks, though. You know what, I mean? <laughs> what I'm used to. I know life shuts down in the south, but that's like – status quo stuff you know what I mean for sure um, for sure so actually you said the word status quo so I mean you kind of sent me some some of your ideas on this so I'd love to talk about this because I teach English as well as do athletic preparation and like words are very yeah. important to me like the the way that we choose yeah. what we say it conveys different things and it can mm -hmm. mean different things to different people so I love how in your Instagram biography in your description yeah. you say that one of your goals is to overthrow the status quo and I'll just kind of talk about my perspective on that first and I'll give you your yeah. opportunity to talk about that and in the notes I had that I really, again, believe in the power of words and what the connotation is and what it means to different people. And I just kind of always grown up around punk rock music and like rock music and kind of like a, a do it yourself kind of narrative. So I've kind of transferred that, I guess you would say, to like my podcast and to like the way that I approach fitness. And whenever I see those words overthrow the status quo, it just kind of means to me kind of stepping out from the narrative that's been followed for so long and trying mm -hmm. to find your own way and navigate your own pathway through things. And that can look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, but it's like looking for an authentic pathway that you feel like resonates with you and that's best for the people that you serve. So I just want to ask whenever you communicate what you mean and kind of like why that's one of your go-to things as far as like how you describe yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, it really has to do with just how I'm wired. I've always been wired for leadership and always have generally, even as a young kid, been the organizer, the one that's, you know, making the phone calls, doing doing that kind of uh, general managing work, even socially. And I think that's led to me being very opinionated on some stuff. And that's served me um, both good and bad throughout many stops. A lot of, I think a lot of it started with me being on opinions at people, whether it was whether I was coming up through as an assistant, you know, football coach and not liking the schemes or this or that, or the other, and, and making my feelings known without maybe proper perspective. But as I grow and mature, I always find myself, my wife's very much the same way that, you know, if we'll go to, we've been at different schools and different towns throughout our careers and she's been in the school system and she's been a track coach for a long time too. And so we're not always received with open arms to, to put it one way, because we see deficiencies very clearly and we challenge like that status quo. We challenge the narrative, I think, and, and not many people are really willing to maybe be humble enough to accept that right now, that they might not have everything figured out. You know, this overthrow the status quo thing just started to resonate with me. It's a, it has it's roots in a Machiavellian quote, you know, I, you know, I'm not here to basically do what everybody else has been doing. I'm here to overthrow the status quo. And that just really resonated. Like, that's me. You know, I, I ruffle feathers. 
often when I go places because of the strong opinions. But the uh, the worst thing you can say to me, I think, as a professional, is just the way we've always done it. And so that's what I think status quo really re- relates to is that that rehearsed same year after year, you know, to the coach that's been coaching 40 years and they're really proud about that. But have you really been coaching 40 years or you've been coaching one year, 40 times, right? That kind of. And so we don't try to turn the tables over, you know, everywhere we go, but we just tend to find that adversity because we just don't like to settle. I say we, it's kind of a family thing for this average existence. You know, I'm always trying to pull people up, always trying to network with people that make me uncomfortable from a learning standpoint. And really that's just kind of a life motto. I mean, I have a tattooed on my arm, you know, to just, and you know, it's like, uh, words are powerful. Like you said, I want to look down and remind myself to not be average, you know, um, and not really settle for really anything normal. I don't, if you're out of the box and if you're doing some, some different things and it seems to work, then you have my attention, you know, and I guess that's really what it resonates for me. I just never want to be average. All good points there that you make. And just to kind of bring that like around full circle as well, going into our next talking point, just this idea of having like a preconceived notion of like what a right answer feels like, because I feel like a lot of the times people are searching for an answer and less often I'm searching for like, what's the answer in the moment? Because what the answer is right now may not be the answer in a week's time and a month's time. There are definitely some things that like are non-negotiable, I guess you would say. But in the fitness world, sometimes what drives me nuts is how much we tear each other down and how much we fight over just semantics, basically, sometimes. Like today, we're going to talk about ATG. Some people love it. Some people don't like it. I'm Mm -hmm. indifferent about it. I see a time where it can definitely be utilized and be beneficial. So what do I do? I try and learn about it and see when can I implement this into training? How does it fit into my own philosophy? Like I'm less worried about what the right answer is and trying to, I guess, diversify my own experience and also leave myself open to more experiences because so many people are closed off to what they're willing to pursue. Like you said, did you coach 40 different years or did you coach the same year 40 different times, right? That's a closed experience. So I just wanted to kind of throw that in there too, going into our first talking point. Absolutely. And I think as I mature, you know, and I'll, yeah, I own the parts where I maybe jump down somebody's throat you know, and accuse them of being a certain way when I didn't have context on the situation. I can recall a coach that I coached under and I was just super critical of how he ran his program, you know, and um, that's when I thought I knew everything. And then I became a head coach and realized I didn't know anything, right? That kind of thing. But I didn't know where he brought the program from. I didn't know the struggles and the trials that he'd already been through, you know, and, and, and then I had to take a step back and say, before you go pointing fingers, you know, get some context at least. So I think that's been a lesson I've learned as well, you know, but uh, this kind of anti-average thing is is very passionate, you know, point for me too. So going into our first major consideration after going through that, because I feel like that's kind of central to who you are, it's mm-hmm. ATG and we're going to talk about that and what that means. Yeah. Uh, I believe your Instagram handle says what the ATG wizard. Um, I believe that's, that's what it is. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to yeah. discuss ATG today. Let's first yeah. just talk out for, talk about, this from a concept of someone who has no idea what this training philosophy is and kind of mm-hmm. the main concepts. And then we can get yeah. to the finer points after that. Cool. Yeah. So Ben Patrick and he's over toes guys. Most people in our industry have at least heard of him by now, you know, and his story starts with knee health and that's why he's knees over toes guy. And, you know, kind of a, he will admit a corny name, you know, that he didn't think was going to latch on, but, you know, just had good success stories. Um, really digging into 
a lot of Charles Poliquin stuff. And that's where ATG has a lot of its roots in Charles Poliquin training. And so that's not been someone that I've studied. He hasn't been on any like foundation of strength training that I've built, though. I think he did a lot of things right. And I have a lot of respect for the results that, that he got through his methodology. But ATG, you know, first and foremost, it is a total body training philosophy, emphasizing full range body movements. I think what are natural body movements that inherently we're either born with or we sh- and we should always have. And I think our sedentary lifestyle takes away from a lot of that. So ATG can be um, Athletic Truth Group. That's, you know, Ben Patrick's company. I have a handshake deal with him basically to use that name because he trusts me. I've been kind of found him before he was big and him and this uh, another guy originally from Australia, not living there anymore, but Keegan Smith, they were kind of doing their own thing. And I was paying monthly for Ben Patrick's program. I was paying for Keegan Smith's real movement program and they kind of merged. Keegan's been a mentor to Ben as well. And so kind of considered me one of the OGs in the ATG community, just because I found him earlier, nothing special about me. I just came across it earlier and, you know, philosophically full range training and really the more i prescribe it and train it the more i realize it's really just addressing a lot of low-hanging fruit that i think traditional westernized training and that can mean a lot of things but generally ignores and so i think that's where people get amazing results from it Um, i can do things at age 40 that i couldn't do as a college football player physically my wife can do things she couldn't do as a triple jumper um in high school with as regards to knee pain and just total body movement. And so I wouldn't do it and I wouldn't be a, a spokesperson for it if it didn't have some, some really tangible effects on me. It's really opened me up from a true mobility and flexibility standpoint. And that means a certain thing in our community too, how we, how we train for that versus like traditional stretching So really, I think the most powerful piece is it gets blood flow to the right areas that sometimes our limited training ranges don't address. So I'll shut up there and let you piggyback on anything there and we can build on any of those areas that you want. Yeah, absolutely. So you gave a lot of the good philosophical points there. And it brings up the full range of motion, um, which is typically a debate that's quite as, I guess you would say, animated as static stretching, which you just referenced, right? Um, I've had my own fair share of people about range of motion because I utilize a variety of ranges of motion. Like right now I'm in season. So like I'm working on power development within certain ranges of motion. Whenever I was in other times, I was working on full range of motion movements, you know? So like I appreciate training an entire spectrum for my own training as well. I've spoke to this many times on this podcast. Like I never would have thought it'd be a person that's on the ground crawling around and doing hangs and all these different things, but that gets me active, especially in those early morning workouts, because my wife can attest to this. I'm not an early morning workout person. I can get up and read for three hours, but I cannot work out. But if I get up and do some rolls, some crawls and different things, like you said, that are non-traditional kind of rudimentary, I just feel so much better. Um, And and I just, my range of motion opens up and like my gait pattern and cycle opens up as well. I feel like I just feel optimized from those movements. So yeah, everything you said there makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I, I agree too. I'm not a morning workout person either. I just don't feel primed at that time, but you're right. If you get some activation going, then it can change your world. It's kind of like if I get some electrolytes in me and some, high, you know, that early morning hydration, I don't feel like crap this near as much. Right. You know, the other thing is I think ATG for me, it's like, yeah, I, I build a business off of training that way. Cause it works. It really works great for athletes and adults. I've got, you know, in, in, in Nebraska, as young as nine, as old as 82 or 83, you know, and they're all doing ATG workouts 
tailored and catered obviously with reps and sets and volume but i really do believe that it fits a pro athlete and it fits your grandmother you know in a lot of different ways and you can have it be the main course or you can have it be like i'm going to choose those three to five atg exercises which you know there's nothing new under the sun i mean nobody's creating anything new it's either just regurgitated rehashed or uncovered and it's been buried for some reason right squatting full depth is something other cultures do to eat dinner right like they have meals squatting full depth right and we just are stuck and like i said i think it's a westernized it's low-hanging fruit for our lifestyles in the west and what i say and so if we address those ignored issues very specifically through um, either ranges or a unique piece of equipment that really hits your hip flexors better than some other modalities, for example, then everything else levels up. So I also think it's a great all la carte. If you want to be a power lifter, ATU is going to, is going to make you a better power lifter. If you are an Olympic guy, ATU is going to help those lifts. I really, really very strongly believe that whatever your, whatever your thing is, it will help feed that, you know, um, to that degree. So um, that's really the power in it. And it's not the only thing I do. And I think you know that, you know, you know, we're both triphasic fans. We're both into cow beats. We're both into all kinds of other veins. So like I said, that helped me build the business. Um, Ben's been great and supportive to me and our community has been, it's a really pretty tight network. So it kind of feels like you found a tribe within that community, but you know, at the same degree, it's another tool in my tool belt that I can apply, right? It's not, not as staunch as maybe it seems like it's all I do. You know, there's some copycats out there that, you know, they only are very strict because that's all they know. But I just had the benefit of networking with other, you know, savvy professionals that are exponentially smarter than I am. And so why would I not steal the best and apply the best? And that's really all I'm ever trying to do, man, is what do I feel like is the best things I can bring in and, you know, get the best output. So that's, constantly just the chase you know that's really what it is so i feel like i atg i know that inside and out front to back and now i can just thoughtlessly program that and it's, it's not it becomes easy right when you really kind of know something and you and you studied it long enough and, and i can really appreciate that point of view that you're kind of referencing there the fact i really enjoy programs and and i'll be honest in my own experience i worked with one segment of the population for quite some time a segment that you're familiar with your football coach i worked with adolescent athletes up to early college athletes and their needs are very different you feel like than a younger person or an older person but like as i've grown and begun to work with larger segments of the population it's amazing how i'm able to take different workouts and like you said cater them just in the most minute manner and yeah. everybody kind of needs a lot of these different things which we're going to speak to here in just a moment like whenever i had kula on he, he talked about i said you train a huge spectrum of people from pro athletes all the way down to youth and you train i mean he even has cheerleaders he has a huge segment of cheerleaders in his facility right and it's yeah. like he says there's a baseline man that everybody needs and obviously that baseline shifts somewhat but the variables are still the same variables essentially and you just have to go about it intelligently but the more that i train people the more that i realize the basic necessities that every single training program needs and whenever i was in my own little pigeonhole it's hard to see that because all you see is your point of view once you shift it it's a lot easier to see so as you spoke through that i could really appreciate that what i'd like to shift to is that variation because we kind of spoke yeah. to the similarity in that section so mm -hmm. with atg being like a full range of motion system working on 
larger ranges of motion. Let's talk about yeah. a progression um, because like you spoke to, it could be a 12 year old athlete. It could be an yeah. 82 year old. So let's yeah. talk about some of those main exercises and how you yeah. can progress towards proficiency, I guess you would say in a safe manner. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that is arguably the most powerful piece of ATG is it meets you where you're at. I and mean, you can be an overweight adult, you know, that's really struggling with Hey, you know, it just hurts to walk, you know what I mean? Because you have all that force in the ground or um, being an elite athlete. The best athletes I've worked with are weak in almost every ATG category. So it's super low hanging fruit, makes you feel good as a trainer because, you know, you're just tapping into those weak spots. And all of a sudden, look, your vertical just went up three inches in two months, you know, that kind of stuff. And obviously that's not going to be a continued track. But if you're tapping into those unworked ranges then your body just levels up so progression wise you know i think we're known for you know the atg split squat which is the you know extended lunge with a straight back leg getting in getting into your hip flexor on that back leg side you know your knees clear over your toe your ankles your heels down as much as you can and oftentimes we'll sit it on a squat wedge on that front leg and so it's i mean i hate the word lunge i just but it's kind of what people generally call it but it's our variation of a split squat right we're just our knees in front of our toe not 90 degrees like a lot of bulgarian style um so we're really getting into the tendons and ligaments and that's where the power is so from a progression standpoint you take that primary exercise which i personally feel is bang for buck maybe the best movement i've ever come across period if you made me pick Pick the top of the pyramid. The ATG split squat is probably what I would pick if I had to do one modality from the lower body forever and ever. So we start elevated and like, okay, hypothetically, we'll put you in a squat rack. We'll have safety bars somewhere mid-torso height for balance, okay? Or PVC sticks or anything to help you navigate your proprioception through that because that's really the issue because you're in an extended position. And so balance, all those planes are challenged basically. And so we'll start you on an elevation, get you on a plyo box or, you know, the tip bar guy. I, I love him. Um, he's got a stackable boxes. So anything like that, that gets you up. And then we have checkpoints. So if I'm coaching you through that, I'm going to say, Hey, here's our position. I'm going to obviously show it first elevated with hand support. And then we are going to checkpoint one. Can my knee get past my toe? That's the range I'm looking for, you know, and like kind of like checkpoint two, eventually we want to get to the point where our calves cover our hamstrings. So we're in that full deep bend. And then number three, because naturally our hip flexors are tight, almost, you know, two a core, two every single human being, right? Generally with that straight back leg, now we got to squeeze that that glute and really activate and straighten that leg out so we can get in and get mobility built and strength in that position through our hip, hip flexor. So it's kind of like teaching somebody to hit a baseball. There's a lot of cues in this, but we work through ranges that don't hurt. That's a big ATG um, principle. We don't go through pain. So you find that range. Let's say their knee can't get past their toe. You're going to go to that range that they can get to you know, comfortably, and you're going to keep working that range. And then slowly, obviously, as you know, things start to open up with blood flow and just tissue adaptation, you know, and so you don't move somebody out of that until they're ready. Same thing could work with what we call reverse step ups, which are just basically mini little pistol squats with your toe turned out. So your big toe, your kneecap contract with your big toe in case you have excessive valgus. You never just want to assume somebody has stability there. You know, pushing through the ball of the big toe on the foot, you're just bending that knee a little bit, getting into that VMO, right, you know, right in the inside, the kind of teardrop muscle in the quad, 
That's what we're trying to build up there through that. And you're just floating the other heel and, and tapping it on the ground and coming back up. And then once you master the ground, you start elevating your heel. You could throw a, you know, throw a 25 pound bumper on the floor. And now you've got an inch and a half of depth to overcome, you know, then you can keep getting higher to the point of common sense where you're, you know, we're not trying to turn it into a pistol squad. That's not the point, but, and then, you know, everything checks the box, then you either add load or add height or some combination of both. So you can have my wife's grandmother's, the 83 year old that I referenced, she comes to the gym all the time. She's always on the stories with my trainer, Zach, you know, and she's doing these movements, you know, hanging onto a squat rack for balance and just going through that range. And so we just want to promote blood flow and healing to those areas. And so there's two examples of typical movements. And then everything that we do has the ability to add load you know, that split squat. Okay. Uh, my form is perfect on the floor. I've worked my way all the way down to the floor, back legs straight, calves covered, knees over the toe. My ankle mobility is, is, you know, decent. I don't have some giant heel lift and okay. Now we're going to hold some five pound dumbbells and repeat whatever the program is for that day to the point where, you know, we're front, we're front, front rack squatting these movements or, you know, my last set, I had 55s in each hand. Right. So we're, ATG has body weight standards and goals and check marks that coaches have to meet. And then we try to get our clients to those standards too. And a lot of that's Charles Poliquin esque as far as how he pursued um, just kind of an equilibrium of balance strength throughout the whole body. I have a couple, I guess, jumping off points based mm-hmm. upon those. So going back to that split squat, which you discussed, and anybody that's familiar with the system has probably seen this. So I have a couple of things tied to that. Most, most of the talking points are so, Obviously, one of the biggest limitations, you mentioned the hip flexor being a major limitation, but I would think that the ankle mobility and like the overall strength and structural mm-hmm. integrity of the foot would be important as well. So have you encountered that? And you discussed it somewhat as far as like providing different methods of support. But I was wondering mm-hmm. if there are any other variations like people you've encountered, you've probably trained hundreds of people or several people through this system where you've had yep. to make it even more reductionist what are some ways that you can work on ankle mobility or foot integrity that you may have had to employ as well yeah i have a pretty staunch shoes off rule when you're training so we're always thinking about feet and though the you know the way we like to start every workout is 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 sled work and and we like to say twice as much backwards as forwards. so that's footwork every day that's ankle stability mobility every day in my gyms we usually push pull um so i kind of you know i don't follow that to code i guess but um so we're going forward working on that so you're either bare feet and the only other caveat is if you have minimalist shoes i'll let you train in minimalist shoes otherwise get those those casts off your feet so we can move and interact with the ground and do some spring ankle stuff from from cal and isometrics that way to build stuff but to to speak to that specific split squat Nobody really has been like that disastrous where I can't, usually it's the balance piece. And if your hands, they've got something to hang on to, they can usually get out of that foot. So I cue the big toe into the ground. I really want to push out of that. We'll slide the, like I said, the the heel lifts underneath. You're going to put them on top of the plyo box. So they're on there to provide that that, uh, baseline uh, stability. But, you know, beyond that, honestly, um, unless somebody's got something chronic, then you have to address that differently. But that's usually been all it takes. You know, we work our tibialis raises and we work things that 
really accentuate that ankle mobility too. So it's a very, very ground up, which you'll appreciate philosophy. And I mean, that's where we do. We start at the feet. I mean, I believe for a long time, weak feet means the weak ankles, mean weak knees means weak hips, you know, everything obviously travels up the chain. So um, we're very serious about that. I think there's a lot of barefoot stuff going on in our community, which I think is the best way to train. And so really beyond those adaptations, I haven't had to do much else regardless of age. Yeah, 100% on the barefoot. Like I started training barefoot maybe five years ago and I'm never going back essentially. Like I train a group of kids at 415, they leave, I take my shoes off, I start working out and then I train another group at like 615. So like barefoot training always, and it feels so different. I can remember uh, I was having issues myself, took my feet off and I felt so much more grounded and just became naturally stronger uh, pretty quickly. So I can uh, attest to all that. You mentioned a term that I had, that was actually the second question I had in regards to the range of motion and just getting that proprioception piece and just familiarity with the different ranges, isometrics. Um, And and like you referenced Cal Dietz earlier, this could be in a different terminology. We could be talking long-term isometrics. We could be talking Mm -hmm. about short-term where we're just working on a certain range of motion. So let's talk about ISOs and how you may use that for someone who needs to be more comfortable with certain ranges of motion or positions, because I feel like that's how I typically attack things a lot of the times mm-hmm. whenever people don't have integrity in certain positions. So just interested on your point of view there as far as advancing people with isometrics in the system. I'll be honest with you, they're not prioritized. And so then I pull from my other, you know, a bag of tricks or tool belt, right? Ben Patrick is, is very dogmatic, but hear me when I say he's dogmatic because he has a specific product that he wants to promote in a specific way for a targeted audience. What you can get online from him is very generic. And so if you're on our chats, which are literally thousands of messages a day, you can't even keep up. He's not anti things. He's just very much, I'm doing my program the way that I feel like is right and the way that has worked for me. And almost like he doesn't wanna be accused of like using a different philosophy to get his results. So it's his baby, his product, you know, and I hope that makes sense. I hope I'm explaining that clearly. But for me, you know, I like a good old 20 second uh, floating heel on a bumper plate, regular split squat, you know, for foot strength. And um, we do calf raises on slant boards, which is fantastic for that. Our knees bent over our toe, working more of the soleus. And then we're, you know, uh, heel down, working that FHL. Uh, those FHL muscles in the calf too uh, more. And so we do a lot of that. And if you can stand that barefoot on a slant board, you've got some pretty tough feet already. And so I like to think there's some there's some isometric components there because we really emphasize that toe off and squeezing the top. So it's a little just transfer phase. And I've played around, I actually created an ATG phasic entire program, a 12-week block, which it's there in existence. I haven't had a chance to truly run somebody through it beyond me playing around with it because I needed a more advanced group. And then the, we had so many when I wanted to run it, it was during, what was it? Maybe the spring when I just had a lot of absences. And if I were coming two days a week, I couldn't feel like I could really run a triphasic slash HUG marriage if kids were going to miss a third of a phase. So that makes sense, right? And you know that program in and out. You want to be able to fully apply all those phases to come back and get those those results from that, right? That makes sense. So, like, I, I'll mix them in, but it's not – it doesn't – ATG doesn't uh, promote really anything but 
the way they do things. Yeah, I was just interested to hear that point of view because I knew that you probably had some other elements that you would kind of blend <laughs> into that to make a nice uh, Sunday out of it, I guess you'd say. So <laughs> moving on to something else I had down, like anytime that we're prescribing different things, we probably have an idea of whenever a certain exercise is going to be beneficial to be like intense as far as load or intense as far as like range of motion. So like I heard you reference that you do want to try and build towards a load, but can you talk about basically where this fits in as far as like terms of max strength and hypertrophy phases and all this different stuff? Because is there a natural cutoff to where you say I might not be pursuing max strength with this particular modality or where's your cutoff? I really don't know that I found one yet because I feel like those things, I don't feel like A2G has limitations with regard to max strength. And I think people are scared of training heavy in those full ranges, but progression is like what we stand on. I feel like this just take a squat, right? We're sitting on our calves, our back, our spine, is in a much better position than 99.9 of anybody else that I see squat because their hips and their ankles suck. And so I don't like to load the spine with those, what I consider to be risky positions, um, front squatting, fine, all that good stuff. You know, as a football coach, I didn't back squat my team the whole last two years, um, which is like, you know, sacrilegious in the football meathead community. But it doesn't mean we don't like the squat pattern. But I don't feel like max strength is really sacrificed because I'll I'll, I will personally add tempo to that. So I'll get some of that different components. We'll focus essentially, you know, eccentrically. I get a metronome timer out and we'll go 10 seconds down. But we're just, I don't, I don't know I'll ever squat to 90 degrees again, Jesse, to be honest with you. I don't see the benefit compared to going full range. I don't, if I ever do, then I'll retract this statement. But I don't see a situation where I would have anybody stop at 90 degrees for any reason. So you're not going full Seedman? No, I am anti-Joel. I'm not, I'm um, not getting started on that, but I, that was just no, too good no, to pass up. <laughs> good to pass up, you know, and those guys have went back and forth and it's, it's all fun. I feel like ATG honestly does some things better. And I guess I'll just stand on that hill to live or die on it. Then I think it does some traditional movements better than the generally prescribed method. I do, you know, find value in your quarter squats for, you know, some explosive work and, you know, some, and there's, and we do those too, you know, we do pulses on slant boards and we load that, you know what I mean? It's, I think a lot of it's very, uh, people point a finger without knowing what it is systematically. And like I said, it's, it's um, my primary tool, not my only tool of, of training, but I've seen the biggest issue is getting people to drop their egos, which means drop the weight. Right. So this has no no hard evidence, but I think if you're a 315 back squatter, now you're a 225 full depth squatter. And if you're a 225, you're probably a 185 full depth squatter. And if you're a 405, you're probably a 315. And, you know, it just makes a lot of logical sense to, to train all the way through that range of motion. And I think that is a big reason why, I think it's the main reason why uh, non-contact uh, injuries happen, all these knees and all these things we have emphasized muscles way too much over tendons and ligaments and that imbalance is just pretty natural if it's too strong against too weak something's going to give and so i really feel like there's some better recipes i feel like it is a a better recipe overall than some of the basic i'll say it status quo things that you still see way too much of again to reiterate not the only way to slice slice that thing up but i do feel like the split squat. I would don't know if I'll program a Bulgarian 90 degree split squat ever again. 
for example, because I feel like the way that we do it in our A2G world is just that much better. And you can't do everything, you know, as well as I do. If you're going to add something, you probably got to get rid of something else, right? Or very, the very least, replace it. So, um, and I'm just a search for knowledge. And if I'm wrong, ten years down the line, I'm wrong. But I've been I've been wrong about stuff before, and and I don't have any problem admitting that. And as long as I keep learning, then I'm going to feel good about what I what I provide as a product, you know. Yeah. And, you know, we've referenced Cal a couple of times. I love every time I see him speak because he always throws out, I ask questions that make me think about problems I didn't know exist. Right. So like, it's good to create those questions and, and analyze different problems. And if you have the answer, perfect. If not, you've got to stand somewhere so that you can like begin to move towards one end of the spectrum. Right. So I can appreciate everything you're saying there. And, and you speaking about full range of motion movements, I had coach Bruce Shexinator on a couple episodes back. It was a great episode. Yeah. And he talked about how with max strength, he likes to work full range of motion. And he kind of shared his whole rationale behind that. He talked about anytime that he's had different athletes come in from a variety of backgrounds or from a variety of age groups, working through that full range of motion, he said, just transferred over better to the field, which is what some people argue counter to. Right. But he said by observing spring, mechanics he's seen that working that full range of motion has really opened up their movement options and just their their flow their overall flow on the field of play so you know i can appreciate that having coach rob cc on too talking about like that yeah. ligament and muscle balance because he deals with jumpers and we were coming from That's two different way. aspects and i was talking mm-hmm. about how i like to bring more tendon based things in because i'm in a football background more often and how he yeah. likes to bring in some muscular approaches occasionally because you got to have that balance too much to one end and the string pops Ooh. right so I can appreciate all of those points. Something I definitely want to delve into with you there is Nordics and the role of Nordics within your training, because I'm I'm not taking a hot button topic. I'm I'm not taking any stance on it. Like I don't disagree with Nordics. It's just, and I've used them in my training. It's just not something I utilize frequently. So I'm interested to hear how you implement them, progress them, and why you feel like that's such an important thing to progress in your training. I disagree with even my friends in, in this industry about this. And here's the deal. My own story, you know, small college has been athlete and, you know, I, I put up decent weight room numbers as far as how we um, would cap, consider them for a five, eight white guy past his prime. I was older in college. I played football from 24 through 27 years of age. So I was already on the downhill slide, but, you know, I think I squatted 508 for those, my like, my max that told me I had strong legs, right? That's how we're bred to think. And then the first time I got on a true Nordic bench, you know, the the rogue style, a couple other people actually make them not a glute hand machine. I will fight to the death that you cannot do. It's not the same thing. I and mean, you can't replicate that by some dude holding your ankles or, or whatever else, because it's just not the same. Um, and I started with one of those straps that you strapped at the bench. Um, you know, you're like in a glorified seatbelt. Here's the deal, you know, for someone who thought he had strong legs and who moved the first six inches of range eccentrically down on that Nordic bench and you get a crazy cramp and you can't get out of it. And it was the most humbling exercise that I've ever had to do. Told me your hamstrings are insanely weak relative to, and I don't, people were like, yeah, okay, quad dominant bull crap, like that exists, but you can't get hamstring dominant by just doing, I, I really think Nordic is the best hamstring exercise there is. I'm a, there, there's my hill. Um, I've never had stronger hamstrings in my life and I'm 40 and a half years old, which who gives a crap now, except for the fact that I have the strongest hamstrings that I've ever had in my life. 
and you know i can crank those out in any day of the week when i'm fresh get 20 full range nordics in a row and if you pay me enough i can probably get five more <laughs> but like dude it's leveled me up so much and i progression wise okay because i think we'll see this in our atg community a lot people rush them they'll see a video of me or somebody else that can do them well because they've been working on them for three years you know and they'll tweak something in the back of their knee and that ties into our whole philosophy which is like anti-atg right we're supposed to be leveling up knees not hurting knees people want to rush in jesse and i think that's the main problem they approach it like i'm just going to throw some more weight on the, the bar and, and squat down and, and hope everything holds together these target the hamstrings so intensely that you've got to respect them, right? I think that's the only red flag in it, to be honest with you. Um, I would never sprint, you know, after a big Nordic day because that common sense tells you if I really trained my hamstrings hard, it's probably not wise to go 24 hours later and time a 40, right? And no matter what you do, progressions. ATG would tell you slow eccentric holds all the way down until you collapse, catch yourself with your hands, walk yourself back up, repeat at three by five, maybe five by five once a week. That's kind of a standard prescription in our world. So we either, we, we've started people straight up, you know, try not to have a lot of hip hinge because that's kind of just cheating and, you know, using more posterior chain than just hamstrings, you know? So we either start people where they'll go down to they really feel that that nice strain, that nice activation and, and pull themselves back up, right? And most people start well under a foot, right? From their starting point because they're super weak there. And I think that's, it really exposes people. I mean, college athletes, everybody that's training their tail off, most people are really terrible at this exercise. So it tells me there's an imbalance there. That or we're going to, like I said, just hold the eccentrics down and, until you collapse, walk back up for your sets and reps. I also implemented with a lot of success in my gym. I think I had 20 some people doing full Nordics in Lincoln out of, I mean, 60 to 70% of my clientele was hitting a full Nordic, which was, we got a t-shirt for that. We celebrated that in my gym. Um, it took me a full year to hit one, do training them about once a week, you know, a lot of cramps and a lot of cuss words, and a lot of frustrating days, but so there's a two, you train eccentrically and I like to train, uh, concentrically too, because that fast twitch fiber on the way up is almost a completely different lift, you know, holding down that lengthening eccentric phase is super hard. And then I find whatever muscle fibers you probably have inherently more of one's going to be easier than the other. So your sprinters, their concentrics, much smoother. So what we'll do, we'll get those balance pads or a bench, depending on what you have, and we'll start. So if we're working concentrics, we'll start laying on the pads at certain heights and you just contract and go from there. And it requires that fast twitch. And usually you've got to fail about three times before your brain realizes what it's going to take to turn it on like that because it's polar opposite. We got lengthening here, we got shortening here. So not only can I work long range, I work short range motions out of the hamstring too. So it's like bang for buck, I'm getting two different stimuli. And I I like to train them on the same day. Some people would argue with me on that, but I only like to hit that movement once a week anyway. So I'm going to have to do it on the same day. So a typical circuit might go, hey, because I had two Nordic benches, so we're going to go eccentric on this one. We'll hop into a reverse hyperextension machine, hit 15 or 20 of those. You'll hop over to the next Nordic bench and work on your concentric phase. And as part of the posterior chain circuit, if you will. So we regress with height, basically, or stopping yourself at certain levels. You know, and the only time I think people get hurt, we have one in my gym, it's actually my father-in-law. <laughs> so he had... Uh, 
he came in fatigued in a way, and I think that really affected him. And then, like I said, some guys in our community that um, they try to rush it because they just want to get that like that achievement of getting all the way down, no hand help, tap, touching, and coming up. So, you know, uh, there's some correlation, I think, with speed. A lot of the fastest guys in the world are very good at, at Nordics. You look at Tyreek Hill, you know, he's cranking them out, um, stuff like that. All right, so there's my Nordic spiel. Yeah, all, all very good, and I appreciate that. The only other thing I'd like to add to that, like you did a good job about talking about different things you to blend in there, and I was going to ask about the sprinting as well, but you hit that point as well. So you hit a lot of the different things that I had down as talking points. What are some other elements on a day where you would typically be utilizing Nordics? Like where would that fit in the overall day structure? So you talked about having like a posterior chain section or segment. Mm-hmm. Is there what's coming before or what's coming after that? Like how would you implement that on a, an entire day's programming? You know, I think our clientele dictates a lot of our our training philosophies where it comes to reps and sets and what you're trying to get done. The vast majority of people in the private sector for me, I see twice a week. So I am trying to be as comprehensive as possible, checking all the boxes we possibly can. So we start out with sleds, you know, maybe five minutes on a sled. We mix up our sled work, whether we're kind of light, medium or heavy for just simple um, for simplicity's sake. They're almost always doing tib raises some sort of calf work, whether it's what we call KOT, knees over toes calves, or FHL calves, the straight straight heel down version, and step-ups or reverse step-ups. Those are kind of like, you know, as a football coach, you can appreciate like everyday drills, right? Things that you want to just quickly get through, check some boxes, all ground force-based things, right? All trying to be preventative in nature, therapeutic in nature to help us absorb that, that force through the ground. And then I would, you know, uh, a typical circuit would be some 45 degree back extensions, you know, at that um, level that someone's ready, whether they're loading it or just doing reps body weight wise. Seated good mornings are really big, open up the hips. So you just in a seated position with your, you know, some wide knees and externally rotated feet a little bit, aiming to get your abs to the bench without your heels lifting or without your butt coming off the bench. And so that's also can be progressed with an incline bench. So you're going to go down you know, and, and touch the incline and come back up to the point where now you're, you can work till you're, you know, flat down through that range. Come hit some eccentric Nordics, hit some reverse hyperextensions, hit some concentric Nordics, and maybe, you know, some R, some RDLs and could be just your standard. I, I kind of just like to, you know, if we're already getting a stretch eccentrically through that, that long range Nordic movement, I'd shorten up the RDL and just kind of go, what I what I coach is like right below your kneecaps into mid thigh. You know that short range. Go down till you feel that hamstring activation. Good straight, you know, neutral spine, and and come up. And that that would be kind of like a posterior chain circuit. Ideally, you come through and we clear some layers via square one on your way back into maybe three rounds of that. Right. So that's been a standard posterior chain day for me. Trying to check as many boxes as we can. Great that you referenced the square one right there because that's going to be our last major talking point here. And if I'm looking at it from my perspective, whenever me, me and you kind of connected over, you know, what we're about to talk about, basically, we we're both extremely interested in like bringing, you know, brain based solutions to training. And I've seen you talk about it multiple times and I've talked about it as well. So it's something we're both passionate about. And if I'm grouping things like as far as like how I'm going to bring this into training, number one, you have the warm up or the priming aspect of some of these different solutions. Number two, I, I like to bring it into the actual setting, which you just kind of referenced. So bringing in different elements into my actual training session. And then number three, yeah. you have kind of like a 
rehab or optimization piece, I feel like. So all three of those, they can be blended essentially, but that's kind of how I view it as far as how I program these things within to my own uh, means of programming. So let's start out by talking about how you blend different brain-based solutions or neuro solutions into your training to warm people up and get them started. What are some of your different yep. methods? Yep. RPR for sure. Everybody gets taught RPR. It's, it's required. It's not an option. The only time you wouldn't do RPR if you're so young, you can't conceptualize it really. And at that point, I'm going to trust the uh, sponginess of your body to maybe be okay through some movements anyway. So yeah, we train everybody up adult classes or or athletes, we come in, look at the poster, get going. And as soon as they know what they're doing, then they're self-sufficient. So we like to teach you how to fish instead of giving you a fish every day. Did some IP courses with Matt Belay and Dan Victor. And so we use neuro spike balls, bare feet, rub your feet out, ten, you know, 10 seconds each foot, rub your hands out, get tactile sensory system activated. Um, those are the two main things. We might do some PZO heel bounces here and there. As far as priming to go into a squat rack, I have people cross crawl march before they go squat to help the brain reset out of that bilateral pattern. I mean, I'll pre and post test people to show them the power of that stuff. You know, I've got people to move uh, appendages, arms and, and legs that were stuck adults through just squeezing that spike ball on the contralateral side to I can't move my shoulder. I squeeze it for five seconds and it's like you pushed a button. So, you know, I've witnessed the power of that tactile sensory system. And then, yeah, as far as that, it's pretty much it really. Because, you know, with the context of an hour and people are paying you hopefully decent money to train them. So let's let's hit the low hanging fruit stuff that's quick and easy and and go. You know, as a football coach, we never stretch. We never did any dynamic warm up. We RPR'd it and immediately sprint. So when we're in our stretching lines as a football coach, that's what we were doing. And we would sprint right away. And we didn't have any soft tissue injuries in the last two years of implementing that. I don't coach anymore on the varsity level, but that's what we did. So great success with that. You know, the proofs and those results, I think. And, uh, you know, some of that prep work, that inner inter training session stuff. There's different breathing patterns that we can do that, that square one kind of um, alludes to some different eye mapping things, saccades, figure eight walks, um, figure eight crawls, you know, a lot of Dan Fichter stuff, you know, he's definitely someone I've stood on the shoulders of through TFC community. And then obviously um, clearing some some patterns out through square one in the context of a session, you don't have the time to get people on a table and really find out where the intolerant joint action is or necessarily circuit locate that but you can clear something out. So at least they're more optimized in some way going into their next circuit or their next lift. So if I'm working with a one-on-one client, we'll probably clear layers out, you know, five to 10 times at least over the course of the workout. I also just book separate square one consultations where you're on my table, we're running you through a whole body tune-up. And then if you've got an acute issue, we'll, we'll go at that. I've got two people's shoulders out of the pain here Kula's place in Denver today, just within like, you know, four minutes for one and six minutes for the other person just through square one. So that, that fills my cup, man. If I can, if you come to me hurting and you leave not hurting, I could do that all day long, man. So I try to do it all. And you know, as well as I do, once you go down the neural lens, that rabbit hole, you don't come back. Um, and you can't see anything the same way without going brain before body. So software drives hardware. You'll never convince me otherwise. Um, I think people that ignore it generally cite uh, 
you know, I don't want to fit that in. I don't have time to fit that in. I would say very cliche, like you don't have time not to fit that in because your optimization is so much higher. And then it's preaching to the choir here, obviously, but you better be fitting that in if you know the power of it. And then I think once you experience that, you can't unsee it. And so, yeah, I'll keep going down those, those, but square one's been the best overall system. I think everything else is a tool versus an entire system that can really change people's lives from freaking degenerative diseases to, Hey, I've got some tightness here, you know, and I don't even know where the boundaries are. We have some amazing stories as you've probably seen in our community from Parkinson's to drug victims to, like I said, AC joint sprain that I got a kid free of pain from the other day in my garage. Right. So man, it's fun. It's fun. I'm so glad to run into Sean and, and, and those guys in this network and wow, you know, I want Sean to grow and be successful, but I also like having a niche that not a lot of people can do because it's better, better for business. Right. So and then that uh, selfishness piece plays in a little bit, but true. And if you can access the more inputs, simply said, the more inputs you can get in, the more you can level up inputs. I think the output's better, right? Yeah, you make a lot of great points there. And, and you actually hit a lot of the things that I was going to uh, throw in there. But like just from my own personal experience, uh, I put out a newsletter every month and I reference this in the newsletter. Like I saw the I've used Square One, so I know the power of it. But like I literally saw Sean take somebody from the inability to go even like a quarter squat all the way to a deep range of motion squat almost instantly. So it's, and yeah. and he used just the level one whenever we were on level one day that day. So like he was able to do that and everybody was just like amazing. And even the guy was amazed. He said squat and I do grimace. I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. And then <laughs> before you know it, a couple layers in he's squatting and like, he feels amazing. And like, I, I think I saw you, I didn't get to go up with you guys, you and uh, Tyler. I wish I could have gone up to you guys session, but Again, Texas called, so went over to Texas, and uh, yeah. I saw, you know, the backwards walk. We did that, too. We had, yeah. like, separated uh, batting yeah. cages, essentially, and I was running into the bat. I felt like I was right dead center, right? I'm running into yeah. the batting cage left and right like crazy the first couple of times, and then as we worked, you know, I was able to get that straight pathway, and uh, I had some knee problems going into that, actually, and the baby goat, as they call him, Ryan Thompson, got me on the table, yeah. and uh, yeah. he was like, no, man, it's your problem's up top in your neck, and we just kept working and I left with my knee feeling better. And he probably didn't even, like you said, get to go through the entire uh, layering process because there was a lot of people there. So, man, I've had my own personal experiences with it. I've used it with clients. I've used it with athletes. So it's been yeah. awesome. It's a shameless plug, shameless pitch. I've had Sean on. <laughs> I've talked yeah. about how much the system's grown because I remember I got into it and I did signal six first and then I yeah. got into square one and it was all on the computer. And mm -hmm. within like a year's time, the next thing you have like the self reset and all these other things that are out there now. And I had him on a second time to talk about that evolution because the system is evolving and Sean's continuing oh, to yeah. plug new things in so he's really making it very empowering now to where like people can do it on the floor like you just referenced like because before I was very table based with mine it was more like rehab someone gets hurt I got an athlete and it was great yeah. for that but uh mm -hmm. I really feel like the tools that are prevalent within the system now can be optimized on a floor by a strength coach um especially the level one stuff which has a huge bang for buck like I just discussed so mm -hmm. a lot of the things you're referencing there make yeah it hits home yeah man we keep hacking the system too some of us guys that are really on it really like continuing to work on that craft and ryan is amazing out in pennsylvania you know and i'm not going to give too much away but we're doing things right now that sean hasn't presented in uh formal training yet 
And it's just kind of Ryan and Damon and Sean and I and our little, little clicky group just kind of not experimenting. But I can tell you right now, we've, we continue to hack this system and make it more efficient. And that's as much as I'll say, because I don't want to step out of the boundaries. I, I put a video out there once and Sean texted me. He's like, um, can you not do that? Because uh, I get a lot of phone calls on why they didn't learn that in, in their level classes. And I'm like, all right, sorry. Um, but I would just say the speed at which we can reset somebody's central nervous system and clear those compensation patterns is, is going um, very, very fast and very, very efficient which should be good news for everybody that's interested in this. And that's so interesting because I feel like it comes full circle to like where we started, the power of experimentation and like having an open mind and saying, right. let's, let's try things out. Let's see what works. Let's see what doesn't work. It's, you're not going for a predetermined answer. Like you said, the central nervous system really is kind of the aiming point uh, for people that are moving in that direction. If you're not, you should get on board because it, that's yeah. where everything's going in the future. But it's just like this idea. I want to learn. I want to try different things. And voila, you have those moments where things pop up and it's like, in the most unexpected places. So that's a great kind of like, I guess you would say coming full circle from where we started this conversation about the power of questioning, trial and error, trying things and really never being satisfied and just always reaching and continuing to progress. That's really what it's all about. You know, I, I have no bones talking about things that I feel good about. And I also have a level of humility that I don't know what I don't know. And that quest for knowledge, if I ever stop, I need to get a different job, right? Like it's just a disservice to our to our clientele. If we're about patient well-being or client care or athletic performance, I mean, not that we're going to go maybe innovate and create a whole new system, but let's not turn a blind eye to maybe things like have, that have been uncovered, you know, or have been covered up that need to be re-uncovered. And you know, as well as I do, there's a lot more wisdom on the east side of the pond than the west side as far as training modalities and I always say, you know, the Soviet Russians got a lot more right than we did over the course of the years. And, and the, the Asian, you know, demographics do a lot of things right, too. I mean, you know, the way those Olympic lifters can, you know, they, they just they move better. Right. And I don't think anybody with you know a certain level of common sense really argues that and there's people doing things better than we've done it traditionally in the West in the last you know 100 years or so. And just be open minded. You know, I was never some sort of like Zen yoga guy believing in all this energies, but when I can touch somebody and move for them and then they can do that same movement they couldn't do before. Now we're on to something, right? <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, this is freaking cool and powerful, right? And so why would you not at least try to explore those bounds, you know? And so, but you know, if people want to keep doing that average uh, status quo stuff, then so be it. That's better business for you and I, right? So, uh, sure, man. Yeah. So last thing I want to do here, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but just want to give you an opportunity to shout out where people can find you and kind of just restate, guess what you're involved in, everything mm -hmm. coming up in your near future. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, yeah, Instagram, the underscore ATG underscore wizard and the wizard thing. I would never give myself a nickname. I went and spoke as a keynote at a knees over toes clinic in Frisco, Texas, which kind of started the ball rolling for me to move down to the DFW area. Some guy did a post little a post session interview and he's like, we learned all these brain tricks from the wizard from Nebraska. <laughs> and it just, then they all started calling me that. Right. And so that's how you get a nickname. And it's just corny and embarrassing enough for me to put it out there. Cause I feel like it makes people say what the heck kind of like these over toes. I mean, it's a corny little thing. 
but it resonates. Right. And so, and really it's just kind of like, I feel like the two things I do best, right. The unique style of the ATG approach, not the only thing, but probably the main course. And then the whole wizard, the whole neurology stuff. Like, yeah, I think it's a really powerful piece to get people performing and, and living a lot better life. So that's kind of the antithesis of that, you know, same kind of stuff on Twitter. I'm not, as soon as I got out of football coaching, I'm barely on Twitter. It might just be like, because my Instagram post is connected to my Twitter account. You know, my Instagram is starting to do these lives on Sunday nights. So tune in on Sunday nights at seven. And I'm saving those on my my reels, my my IG lives and getting a lot of good people on there. So hopefully you can hop on one of these days with me too and, and just um, giving people a chance to ask questions on there. I need to have a YouTube channel. I don't really yet, you know, Facebook stuff. But, you know, Instagram, I think, is the best place to kind of find me where I network. And, and then, you know, I'm excited. I'm going to be uh, working for Brian Kula and Kula Sports Performance, running the facility as, as the manager in Plano, Texas, which is about half an hour from where I live. And we're set to open March 1st. And so um, Brian's a guy that, as you know, is in the TFC community. I've followed him for a number of years. And, you know, a text message turned into a phone call and turned into a Zoom interview has turned into a job offer. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm excited to bring some of my skill sets into his environment and vice versa and relearn some of the things that I've, you know, looked at in the past of his, some things that I still work with. And I think it's philosophically, I love how he trains athletes. I love being a speed first guy. And so there's not probably a handful of people I would work for, honestly, probably on the planet. And Brian's one of those guys. So, you know, giving up a certain level of autonomy that I really I've come to enjoy, you know, not having people point fingers at me and tell me what to do. It feels pretty nice, you know, being a teacher that happens quite often. So I was probably going to get fired eventually. So I'm better that I just resigned. But yeah, so I'll be, you know, representing, like I said, this cool sports performance here. I'm proud, proud to brand him out. Proud to be part of the team. I think we're going to crush it in Plano. He's got some good inroads and a good reputation. I'm happy and honored to be a part of it. So I can still do a couple things in my garage in Salina, Texas. And, but yeah, that's where I'll be full time. And, and hopefully we can keep growing this brand because I think we're doing things better than most. And there's a lot of, uh, I think, poor quality people trying to train athletes out there. And if you provide a better product and maybe serve some demographics that uh, don't generally get all the attention, that's a winning model. So we're planning on taking over DFW and then going wherever else we need to be. So yeah, excited for that. That's what the future holds. So, well, that's awesome to hear, man. I just want to congratulate you on the new great opportunity. You know that you've discussed, and you know Brian, I've had him on. He's a, he's a great guy. I love his training system. I love all the different things that I've seen you present. So, congratulations on this new great opportunity. I know you're going to continue to do great things. As soon as you get it up and running, man, I'd love to jump that state line and come check it out after you get things settled. So, I'll definitely come over and check it out eventually. But I just want to thank you for taking time out of your day. I know right now you're actually busy. You're up there with Kula in Speed Town right now, right? So uh, thank Mom's you for taking right time. Yeah, looking at the Rockies right out the window. He's got, man, this is, if, if man, Plano's going to look like this. And when I walked in this facility, I just started drooling, man. I'm like, this is literally what I would do if I had my choice. You know what I mean? So I get to be a part of something that's really already established. I walk, you know, we got to build it. We got to advertise. We got to get people in the door, obviously, but the model's there, right? So as a means of kind of security for myself and my family and maybe not having to hustle so hard, but also knowing that that's how I got started in this industry too. And, and without that hustle and without 
my experience, then I don't get this job, right? So it's, you know, you just meet good people and you interact long enough and sometimes things fall on your plate and, um, you know, praise God for that. And it'll be what it'll be. My door is always open and I hope you come, come see us and we'll just plan on that for sure, man. For sure. So everything that you reference, guys, it's going to be linked in the show notes as well as on my uh, weekly write-up that I do. It's a companion write-up for each of the podcasts. So make sure you click on the links, check out his Instagram. If you're not already following him, give him a follow because got a lot of cool stuff, a lot of good rationale that was presented today. And you can kind of see the visual format of some of the different things that we discussed. So make sure to check that out. And again, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Should have done this sooner, but I guess this was perfect timing, man. Glad to have you on finally. Thank you, Jesse. Love what you're doing, man. Love your podcast and, and keep up the good work. And let's, uh, let's shake hands in person sometime soon. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Check the show notes for links to Wade's socials as well as Kula Sports Performance Plano's Instagram page. Head over to From the Ground Up, athleticperformance.com to check out the detailed write-up tied to this week's episode. While you're there, sign up for Ground Level, the monthly podcast newsletter, detailing key points from all featured episodes. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review if you feel led to do so. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.